Well, it is great to be with you today and to share with you somebody who I consider to be just one of the best people in the planet. He was a mentor of mine when he didn't have to be. And, you know, I, uh, I've actually become friends. There's a guy that I'm very close friends with. I won't, I won't say his name, but when I was first starting off in the career field as a speaker, I reached out to him and he didn't have the time of day for me. <laughs> and later on, I talked to him and I said, you know, you're just, you were really gave me short shrift when I reached out to you early on. And he said, yeah, Joseph, there's so many people who knocked at my door and said, can I, you know, can, can you help me? Can you teach me what you learned? And he goes, at some point I had to just be very judicious about who I engaged with and I seldom ever engaged anyone. So now let me compare that to my guest today. I knocked on his door back in those same days and he was the most gracious human being possible. And then I asked him to coach me uh, because he was the past president of the National Speakers Association. I'd watched his stagecraft and it was like butter, you know, it was this smooth phenomena. And I just really wanted to be him. Also, interestingly enough, we both had PhDs in, in psychology, which meant that we had to transition from our credibility source being maybe mental health counseling to being on stage and communicating a message there. Uh, so there's so much, I really wanted it to happen. And what was the likelihood? And he said, absolutely, yes. And, you know, he, he set a price for me on coaching. He, he offered to do it for free, which I could not possibly have had happen. So, but I, we set a price that was way below what, what he deserved to earn for his gifts, talents. He probably doesn't realize it, but to this day has been responsible for so much of the foundational elements of my career. So without further ado, I am honored to introduce you, a person who is my mentor, uh, Dr. Terry Paulson. Oh, thank you. I, I, I love that. I love positive gossip. I don't get to have too much of that coming at back at you when you can actually listen in, you know, so that was very nice. Thank you. Yes, I'm trying right. to mute you so you can hear that. I didn't want it to go to your head or anything, but you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. sometimes it just is true, you know, and you got to speak it out there. So, hey, you know, I think it's really, uh, you, you know, one of the things you need to look at is some people, what they do when they're on the platform and what they match after is is one of the things that I think gives authenticity to who you are. And, and I think, that's one of the things I've tried to say true to whenever I've been involved in whether it's speaking or work that you do that that you're real you 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 because I only think then you can have people who you leave a room going wasn't that person special and you have other times you go no I feel special because I know him and and I think that's that's what we try and do I think if you're really an authentic and a good speaker is how can I have people leave the room and take something and actually use it and I think that's the same way with a podcast like this you 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 want to make sure the conversation serves the people you're trying to, to reach. Well, you've been serving people with incredible conversations. I'm just gonna make sure that I pop up on the screen some of the kinds of conversations that you have engaged people in from a book perspective. And we're gonna focus on this book uh, today. I mean, there's, we could go in a lot of different directions. It's gonna be obvious by some of these other screenshots that I'm sharing with you, um, though I happen to love this a lot because I've heard you speak on this particular topic over and over again and the amusement that that comes to me when I think about it. But in addition to talking about management and what does it really mean to be a manager, uh, you've also shared some of the, the great lectures that 
families offer to their teens and really what every team should know. So we, we can get into that a bit. Uh, clearly, what I came to you for to sit at the feet of the master is captured in this book in terms of, you know, really a professional speaker. It's not just about being you know, somebody who gets up and does a, a speech uh, or a toast. It's really what does it take to do this in the business? And then all kinds of leadership truths that have been eternal. Uh, your your politics notwithstanding, I think that you've addressed some of this and you're an avid columnist now uh, on a lot of social issues. So I don't want to miss out on that topic. And then finally, uh, making humor work, which has been a passion of mine for a long time. Let's, let's kind of loop around here and talk a little bit. How did you get in to writing, uh, how did you make that transition from being a psychologist to a speaker? And what did this book do for you? Because I think it was pretty seminal in helping people see what your value proposition was. Well, as as you've gone through a, a list of them, I mean, the first book I wrote was They Shoot Managers, Don't They? And that was a book that uh, essentially, uh, a, a uh, I had done a series of programs on conflict and, and how to manage conflict and to care enough to confront. And a school district asked me to put together a book for teachers on dealing with conflict. And, and I said, you know, it served me more if I could deal with all levels of that, whether that's the administration or other areas. So I put together a book and then I, I had it with me one time and this guy was on the plane sitting next to me. And all of a sudden he said, whoa, you know, this is amazing. I, I, how can I get this? And I said, well, it was limited copies to the." And he said, look, I have a contact with a publisher. And that literally opened the door on a, from a plain conversation that they contacted me and says, we got to have this book. And uh, so that started that one. And then the optimism focus came out of the publisher. Wiley came to me and they said, we're, we're dealing with a society that is so negative and so focused on what's wrong that, you know, we, we saw some of your YouTube videos on optimism and we said, we want to write, we want to do a book. And we, and we couldn't find anybody that expressed it better than you. And so they approached me and I said, that fits with my desire. I, I mean, it's a topic that is so timely. And, and as you know, dealing with adversity handling some of those things probably are as is central to the world we're living in right now in this lockdown pandemic that just keeps going on and the division that's out there. I, I can't think of a more timely topic. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because in the, in the forward to the book, I believe it was in the forward that you acknowledge uh, Marty Seligman's work. And for those of us who have been through this path of psychology, positive psychology always got short shrift, like psychopathology one, right? We love the, you know, the psychopath and the, you know, the, the crime novels and people spend a lot of time in therapy trying to help people with dysfunction. So very few people have done the research on it. And then to Marty, sometimes he wasn't the easiest person to follow uh, in the way he talked about optimism. So what I thought you did was bring this really refreshing, easy to read, casual, conversational style to the topic. Um, what did you see kind of launching off of the researchers like Seligman in as you translated this book to, to the masses? Well, you know, and I think it's, it's something you share as well. And we, we spend so much time as clinicians focusing on people who things aren't working for them. They need help in, in marshalling that inner strength and, and a perspective that allows them to live life effectively. And all of a sudden, Seligman talks about, wow, why aren't we studying people whose lives work? 
And why don't we give the breadth of things and experiences that allow people to, to be more effective in managing the obstacles and the challenges. And, and all of a sudden in reading that, like so many psychologists, it, it hit us like, oh, it's so true. And then I started saying to myself, I don't want to limit myself to any one area. I, I want to be able to include faith components. I want to encourage people to think about what are the things that actually work for them in their head. I mean, we, we spend so much time in our head, particularly now in the midst of this lockdown world, we're in our homes and we're alone. And, and if it's not working, if, if you don't find ways to capitalize on some of your strengths, then you're dependent upon other things external. And, and that leaves you with television and what comes at us in our society are basically problems. So Dad, let me let me uh, just open this up for those of you who are joining us on LinkedIn or Facebook or YouTube today. If you want to just type uh, in a comment, we'd welcome that. And specifically, I would encourage you to address what how what is your coping skill? What's your superpower in coping with the adversities that you face in your life? And and how optimistic are you? You know, I think one of the and we'll get into some of the the thing about this book is there's like 50 topics like you could have limited yourself to like 25 but no you just kept going 50 different lessons that people um, can learn about optimism but let's start with this this basic principle i mean there's an argument that you're either born optimistic or you're born pessimistic and you're kind of stuck with a basic disposition therein can you can you give me a sense of within the bandwidth of disposition what we can really do to increase our optimism and have an advantage as a result of it well, one of the things we talk about is is the realization that, yes, there are individual differences. I, I, I cannot argue with the fact that you can have a, a disposition that is more positive than not. You can have parents in an environment where you grew up that gave you models of effectively coping with strategies. And, and, and But no one is limited from the ability of expanding their optimistic attitude. Because this idea that it is just what you say to yourself, it isn't just what you're saying yourself or reading a book. It comes from a track record of overcoming obstacles. Once you know that, you begin to realize the obstacles you face are really your friend. Every time I overcome one, it's my confidence grows from my ability to handle the next one. It gives a, it gives a sense to our parenting skills. We've spent years trying to take pain and problems out of our children's lives. But every time you do that, you keep them away from mastery. You keep them away from learning the skills that allow them to be effective. So we need to let our kids have some problems and cope with their own. And, and, and that's why, from a political point of view, it's the same kind of thing there. The more we make people victims, the more they're dependent upon Washington instead of an ability to to cope with themselves, be self-sufficient. Our goal should not be what we do for people. It's, it's how few people need it. I, I want people to be effective in handling their lives. And I think that's the beauty of, of optimism. Optimism comes from that track record. And what we say to ourselves is a result of those coping skills and being able to bounce back and handle what occurs. Yeah, I, I just kind of, kind of pulled the arrow out of my heart when you were talking about how we sometimes try to keep our kids from from really developing their own core competencies and resilience because of our paternal maternal instincts of sheltering them from harm you know our little baby birds not falling from the nest but you know they got to take flight right and uh, there's some and, and, and that really tees up kind of one of the beginning points of the i'm really keen on this phrase that i heard some time ago it's not yours but it, it's honest lullaby right like i'm a big fan of telling honest lullaby 
lullabies. They get the, the lullaby ends with we're going to make it, right? But the between periods, there can be some real hardship here. But if we work together, if we live our values, if we, we we're going to make it. So I love the lullaby part. The honesty part is kind of the hard thing. And you and you didn't write this book just in the middle of the pandemic. This book's been around for a while. And you acknowledged the honest part of the lullaby with the premise that life, nobody promised you a rose garden, as Loretta Lynn might say, right? Right. No, and it's, it's it, and the beauty of that is, is you all of a sudden realize, I don't have to expect anything less. I, I mean, everybody is going to have times in their lives that they're going to be obstacles or losses or jobs that don't pan out. I remember being in a conversation with, with some entrepreneurs and I, it was over lunch and one of them said, you know, I, you know, I've had five bankruptcies, but it was that fourth one that I learned to let go quicker and to be able to move on. And, and the fifth one, now the job that I have in the, in the company, I've, and all of a sudden I go, Whoa, I've spent my life trying to avoid bankruptcy. I don't want to have one, but these people are talking about the fact you can have disasters and literally bounce back. And that realization that, that all of us have a story to tell. In fact, the richer stories we tell of those experiences become memorable things we want to tell our grandchildren. And maybe we ought to be telling our grandchildren a little bit more about those difficulties that, that have occurred. And, uh, and how we learn from them. What are the coping skills? Instead of talking about victims, we ought to have ads that talk about people who have made, no matter what their race or their background, that have, that have made things work. What did you learn? What did you do? So that we share those stories so that people realize they too can do the same kind of thing. You know, I, I love that a book about the optimism advantage starts <clears throat> with the principal truth that life is difficult. Like, there's something something unexpected that an optimistic book would start with that foundational truth. So uh, I just want to share with you that, that I don't know, you know, I don't want to credit that I've already given you, but that was pretty cool. Um, beyond that, you, you really shift over to locus of control fairly quickly, right? In your, and again, there are 50 of these truths that you will get out of this book, but the, from life is difficult, you immediately pretty much go to, and now you got to sort out what you can affect and what you can't. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about kind of that mystery of locus of control and, and this this truth that you you share in the in the early pages of this fifty lesson book. You know, there's a a basic reality that the the more you grow and you mature, you realize the only person you even attempt to control is really yourself, and even that's in question on Mondays. We, we're not, we don't have control of the world. And as soon as you begin to try and take control over things you don't, you will be more frustrated. I have a child. It's, it's like an arm I can't control and it's embarrassing and I, I, I can't deal with it. But the more I try and control it, the more difficult it becomes. And so once I finally realize they're in control of their life, my job is what do I do as a parent to make it more likely that I help them journey through that to a more healthy situation. And I may have to let them go to experience the cost of their decisions because they'll learn it themselves. You, you, you realize there's only three things that I control. And that is my positioning. If I position myself effectively to make it more likely that I can be effective, am I in the right job? Um, have I positioned myself in a place that takes advantage of the gifts that I have? When I started, I was going to be an accountant. 
<laughs> I went to economics classes. I did well in the classes, but I said, this isn't me. That was my dad. And, and all of a sudden, when I told the economics professor, look, I've decided to get into psychology and, and I'm, I'm going to stop my major in economics, he says, oh, oh I'm so sorry. I, I don't want you to leave you the only funny economist I have. <laughs> it was like the pain of realizing your job is not to find somebody else's journey. It's to make your own story. And I, I think story is what penetrates in life. And when you realize every day you're writing your own, that's... You know, that's it's interesting because I... I think of you on stage as the quintessential storyteller. So before we go on and I get into the face the brutal reality or this too shall pass or be a resilient survivor, some of the other, you know, the truths that you articulate in the course of your book, I would like to share with you, with the audience, what it's like to see Terry Paulson on stage. And I, you know, I mentioned his stagecraft, just watch this individual connect with his audience authentically, warmly, nurturingly, just flourishes of self-effacing humor. Uh, I wouldn't say deprecating, but self-effacing humor, kind of the integrity of that. Speaking out verbally to the audience, I think internal truths about him, that they speak in their own heads and they go, wow, yeah, that's like me too. Uh, watch all of that as he shares one of the first events he did, one of the first facilitated consultative events he did uh, coming out of school as a psychologist, transitioning from an individual psychologist into the corporate world. I was called into a construction company and I was asked to do a two-day weekend retreat. Eight executives, seven of them were there at the start and I, I welcomed them. I had a flip chart and I was writing down issues that I felt they wanted to work on and then the eighth executive walked in. He didn't look happy to be there. I welcomed him and then I said we've got a list here of some of the things that people want to focus on and I just want to ask you do you have anything you would like to add to that list? He looked at me and he said, I don't anticipate I'm going to learn anything from you. You're too young to know anything. What's more, I've studied with the best. And this is an entire waste of a weekend. Being a psychologist, I sensed he didn't like me. <laughs> I had nowhere to hide. They were wondering what I was going to say and so was I. It was a knot in my stomach. I looked at him and I don't know where it came from. I just said, I'm as old as I can be for my age. But this isn't my weekend, it's yours. I'm here to be a facilitator, which means I need the input of all the people. And in fact, with a background, it sounds like you have. I hope you listen long enough to what we're talking about so you can share some of your wisdom. I looked him in the eyes, turned to the other people, went back to my material and started to hyperventilate. I had to spend two days with that man. And I knew he could wreck the entire experience. I was struggling in my mind how to handle it. Religious principles, love thy neighbor as thyself. Love your enemies. He was making it hard to do that. I, I was thinking also, is maybe there, I had to get in a little bit of a battle with him. I'm pretty good on my feet and I can handle it. And then I remembered the words of Confucius. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. <laughs> it's costly 
to attempt to get even. As a psychologist, I knew people who had been wronged at some point in their lives, and they'd talk about it, and I realized some of them would invest hours, days, weeks, years getting even, and the only person that was hurt was themselves. It costs us to get even. <laughs> then there's the opposite side of this. If you start getting even with them, they create a cycle of getting even back. Wow. I'm sorry. I, to this day, I still go, wow. Um, watching what you, first off, the content is rock solid, right? This, the, the, that TED talk about adversaries to friends and kind of jujitsu on the, on the negativity and flipping that energy into something positive. It's killer good stuff. But the style of delivery, I mean, when you watch yourself now, I mean, because let's be honest, you're over 40. Um, <laughs> does, it, does it change to see yourself now, uh, particularly after all these years of doing the stage? Well, you know, what's really funny. I, I, you, you, sometimes you go back and you you watch yourself and you go, wow, it's the it's that same energy, and I and I love that part of me. I mean, it is part of what who, who I am that God's given me a gift to be able to utilize, and uh, and 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 it's it's partly my, I believe in my mission of, of of who I am as a speaker. I I believe people come to hear a speaker because they want to know they're not alone. They want to know they've had some of these same kind of experiences, and and when I speak to that, then I know that connection is strong enough for me to be a truth teller. Once that connection's there, um, I believe I can talk about insights that I've learned, and they will be with me. They'll be listening intently, and they'll be thinking about how can I apply this. And and I I think the area of conflict is is always been something that I've had passion for, because I think it's a reality that we all experience. And and boy, do we experience it now? The divisions, the the negativity, the the the, the demeaning things that are said about people who who we disagree with is it stops us from having any dialogue. And, and I think we are, <laughs> we do need to dig two graves unless we find a way out of this because it's, it's, it's a real challenge to realize that I can disagree with somebody and still care. One of the gifts of our country is that we're, we believe in free speech. We believe in the ability to, to have more dialogue. And if somebody says something that's hateful, I just want to have a, I want to share with you there's another way and we can communicate about those differences. And all of us have had times, you've had a difficult conversation. And at the end of that, we say to ourselves, why didn't I do this earlier? Why didn't we have this conversation? And, and, and I think it's a lot over to some level of righteousness for every thought. And we've, We've chosen sides and camps, and there is this absence of respect. Because I will tell you, I read your I read your blogs, and I and you are more right than I am in terms of your political views, right? Um, and I adore you. Uh, I don't agree with your ideas sometimes. I know your deep passion for what you think, but as a human being, I would be so sad if we couldn't talk because our politics can diverge. Well, that used to be what our culture was about. You know, you'd have the, the Reagan and Tip O'Neill that could go off to lunch after arguing over something and they still could, could deal with it. I, 
I, I love the the one quote I quote so often from Abraham Lincoln that that I just love. He reportedly it was from a a, a diary of a of a senator, and and he he commented that Lincoln came upon a conversations where they were discussing someone they didn't like in Washington and. Lincoln, Lincoln listened for a moment and then said to them, you know, I don't like that man. I'm going to have to get to know him better. I, wow. I think we've done what the exact, uh, we've done the exact opposite. We've distanced ourselves from people we disagree with. And I don't care whether it's politics or it's, it's business. One person who really wants to sabotage a company a, a project or, or, or even within a church, I, I don't care where that, that relation. If you can't find a way to bridge across that divide, it will sabotage the effectiveness of our ability to work together as a team or as individuals. And the first time you try and build a bridge to a difficult person, they believe you've been to a seminar. You listen to this podcast. You're probably trying something on me. Yeah. And, and what's the only thing, the only thing that builds trust is history. And most of us aren't willing to persevere through that doubt time to build that trust. But I think we are in a crisis of trust right now. I don't. I don't think one side believes that 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 there there was a fraudulent election. The other side believes you're all crazy for even believing that. But there's no dialogue. There's no safety of being able to explore until we find a way to move forward. And 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 I think that's going to be. We need enough Lincolns out there. We need enough people who are going to say, "I'm going to get to know you a little bit, even though I disagree with you," and and it and to persevere through it. So uh, your your connection to people is is coming through still today, even in the context of this. Uh, it was people said they really like this guy. I, I think that's. Thank you, Bonnie from Lincoln, Nebraska, for sharing that. Um, yeah, I, I think that if we do reach out, if we create that opportunity, if you do speak the human condition, likability comes into the mix. Uh, and I think that that's part of optimism too, isn't it? I mean that relationships that are critical. If, yeah, we have some people we we agree with that um, are critical to our our future, and 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 I and I talk about this virtual village. Every person for you to be really optimistic, you need a network of people to serve a number of different functions. Sometimes that person is a knowledge person. They have knowledge in an area that I need and an expertise. And, and that's why we need teams of people. The, the, the great line I saw at, at uh, McDonald's University was on their wall. And it says, we believe in collaborative problem solving in school. That's called cheating. To get to be effective in the world early in school is you have, you're competing against others on a curve and you want to be the best. But then you're out in the real world and you want people to come together because they have different skill sets that we can collaborate together and we can make something happen. I need people who have knowledge that I don't have. And that requires humility. You have to be able to know I don't have all the answers. Goodness gracious. I've got to, I've got to pull together the people who agree with me and people now, who are I, the same I, mean, I think right now you're demonstrating another one of these truths from, from your book about optimism, which is that we really have to call it for what it is, right? Like this in this crisis of trust, we are in a time when people need to find a collaborative spirit and not view collaboration as a bad thing uh, over competition, uh, that we need both competition and collaboration, if you will. Um, but, but then there's this never lose faith. Um, you know, I can see people of goodwill on both sides of these discussions 
who are losing faith, who are losing their ability to see a path to a better tomorrow um, because they, they just feel a great sense of futility. The optimism has been swallowed up. Can you can you tell me how you because I, you get in the middle of taking on these issues and being speaking really your truth in in blogs, for example, these days, I can imagine the kind of vitriol you get back has to cost you to think, really, do I have faith that this is all going to work out? Oh, I love that. I love I love the fact, number one, when I the ones I treasure when I write a column are the ones who write me who disagree with me. And I do get some pretty volatile first replies. And, and, I, and I, then I remember something. There have been moments in my life that I had a quick reaction, and I too did that. I know underneath this is a person that feels deeply about their views. And, and I also believe, it's partly from a faith perspective, I believe all of God's children count. So, you know, we got, we got to, I don't care what your race, your background, your gender, I don't care your politics, you are a child of God to me, all right? That is my faith perspective that allows me to say, I want to find that part of you. And so whenever I get a really critical letter, I look for something in there that, gee, I don't understand, maybe they were right. Maybe I didn't take that seriously. And my message is always the same to them. Something you said in your email. I hadn't considered, could you tell me more about that? Help me understand that. And their second email is always totally different. They, it's like they've all been to the same seminar. They come back, uh, I apologize for my initial low brain function. And uh, I thank you for giving me a chance to explain myself a little bit better. And we end up with a powerful conversation learning from each other. Now, it sometimes just helps us get clarity of how we disagree but at least they become part of my friendly opposition. I tell them, I said, Why? when I write again and you and you see something that doesn't make sense to you or you, or you feel I haven't taken, write me. You're part of my loyal opposition. <laughs> and I have warm people who disagree with me who I treasure because of that. You need your truth tellers. You need people who are going to pull you aside and say, hey, I'm not going to tell this public, but I'll tell you eyeball to eyeball. You're making a mistake in how you're handling this. Do you have a truth teller in your company? Do you have people who you care enough to confront you? And, and do you have then the people who support you and give you the hugs and give you the energy? We're missing that now. People who, who, who feel like we can't connect out of our homes isolated. We're losing that touch side. We're losing the connection side. It's, it's, it's a real challenge, but no, we need it. And, and we need to be that for other people. So for me, and most of my audience knows that I've wrote a book recently called Stronger Through Adversity and listened to all kinds of senior leaders talk about how they try to get through the pandemic and racial unrest in the last year and a divisive political season and still lead organizations to success. Um, one of the things that I have always said is this too shall pass. And it's how I got through dissertations. It's how I, I've been trying to cope with the COVID-19 uh, the ephemeral nature of pain and suffering, um, maybe to a state of greater pain or suffering, I, I, I hope that's not the case. There's always this kind of belief that this is transient. This is temporary. If I can see it in a time-limited way, I can take one more step, one more swallow to get myself there. But what, what do you mean by this in the context of, of your book on optimism? Well, for me, number one, it was my mother. I mean, she 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 taught me this too shall pass. I don't know where she got it. I don't. 
I, but she was applying it to me. Somewhere he'd be gone. You know, I, I, I mean, these kids grow up. I'm out of this 18-year experiment. But, but the concept is a critical one on the importance of life experience. I, it's such a tragedy to see young people who have not had a chance to learn that we go through crises and we're going to come out on the other side to consider committing suicide in the face of, of one difficult experience that they go through. Life gives us training wheels, you know, early on. We, we need to share with them that, that we've gone through it. They sometimes see us as so effective that we, we don't share enough our problems. We don't share enough the problems we had to overcome to get to where we can cope and then let them know as they have some of these experiences, you're going to treasure this later. It's going to give you strength. And, and I think that's the kind of thing that we need to do far better. And, and why your book was so effective because you all of a sudden you see all these effective leaders who had difficult experience and they came out the other side. And all of a sudden I said, that can happen to me. I, I, I want that to happen to me. You know, and, and, and I'll do this off camera because I'm going to be underneath your book. OK, let me see if I can get myself out from underneath your book. Oh! All right. All right. So, <laughs> all right. Um, so, you know, one of the, the, the next concepts in this book um, that I now have shoved off on myself uh, is this this discussion about resilient survivorship. Right. Uh, and this commitment to it. I, it really reminds me of a, of a book I endorsed. It was called Radical Survivor. And I, this lady was a principal in a school district in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where my kids went to school. Her husband and her two sons died on a plane crash. Uh, you know, it was one of those moments where I could not imagine any human being suffering that kind of trauma in one mo moment. Um, later on in life, I lost a wife and then six months later, I lost a mom. And, you know, not, not that it's on a par with this, but I think we all have a story of radical survivorship or resilient survivorship. Um, is, is this getting to calling on our radical survivor or our resilient survivor? Or what do you try to get at with this, this truth? To me, it's the words we use. You know, I, I mean, one of the things that I found in writing this book was that we need phrases to communicate to ourselves internally that, number one, I'm going to get through this. I am a survivor. By saying this too shall pass, I'm giving myself a phrase that gives me a context of past experience, not only from myself, but other people. And I'm going to take that and add it to my story because it's going to help me get through faster, almost <laughs> really an embarrassing part about therapists is, is some of the research that indicated that the average stay in therapy is about 16 sessions. I mean, you know, when they look at it across disciplines and areas and then when they actually did studies of people who didn't go through therapy, they found that within 60, the time that it would take for normally 16 sessions, most people have a way of coming out of that themselves. Now, that didn't really make therapists too happy, but what they did find is that therapists have a way of helping us get through it quicker. Now, here's the problem. The problem of that is we tend to give credit to the therapist. Oh, weren't they wonderful? They helped us. Instead of learning mastery, instead of learning that I am not a victim of what happens to me, if I make it through and I'm not dead, I'm a survivor. And the term survivor is such an important message to say to yourself. 
because it has the connotation that I had to take the truths of whatever it's a book I read or a therapist that I work with or a mentor or a coach, I had to apply it. And, and once you realize that, you take ownership of that. And so that, that, that word survivor is so different than being a victim. Victim means I got to look out somebody to find a saver who's going to help me as opposed to a, a survivor that has overcome an obstacle. I got to tell you, one of, the things that, one of the things I've found about being a victim is it's such a righteous position. I mean, the world has given you this bad hand. By no dint of your own are you in this place. There's always somebody to blame and you are always right. You're suffering like there's no tomorrow. And there's this absence of an internal sense of I am strong. I am adaptable. But it's it's seductive to be a victim. I Victimhood is a, a strange beast. Well, and it, it is it puts a tremendous amount of guilt in other people around you because you feel like I need to help you. But if, if what I need to do is help you, I then take away a little of my respect for you because really you needed help. <laughs> if, I keep, if I keep going to somebody and say, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me out. And, and, and ultimately, all I want to do is, is I, I want to distance myself from you. Now, the alternative of that is, is, the, is the person who tries to give help repeatedly. If I keep saying, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. Washington's going to help you. Other people are going to help you. What I'm basically saying is you need a lot of help. You haven't got the skills to make it yourself. What? What? A, I don't believe in you. I believe in every individual's ability, irrespective of what happens to them, to take that experience and come out of it. And that is a belief in the gift that God's given us, the resources, the coping skills that we are a child of God and we can we can make it. I don't want to send you to Washington for help. I want you to find it within you. I mean, and that is a firm belief that I have now. If I can help you in some way to give you guidance, if I can be a model for you, if I can do anything that gives you the words that help you come out of that. But as soon as you place yourself in a place where you're a victim, you're looking to the wrong places to find the answer. And, 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 and well, so I, I, can, I can testify to the fact that you are there to assist people who willfully come to you uh, knowing that you have gifts and talents that could add to their their process or expedite their journey to growth, right? So I, I can speak to that, and I know you're not one who says, "Oh no, you're you got to be self-made," right? Um, but the reality is that the locus of control has to be starting here, and then you go and you 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 have all kinds of mentors across your lifetime that I am paralyzed. I'm, I, you know, I, I think I, I shared with you another time, I, I'm chair of the Board for Lutheran Social Services of Southern California. And, and I care very dearly about the fact that they're all on the line in communities, helping people who are disadvantaged. And believe me, in the midst of this COVID epidemic, people who never thought they were going to need anything are really hurting. They've lost jobs. They've lost businesses. And all of a sudden, they're at the doorstep of an organization they didn't feel that they, they should ever have to face and be there. But one of the programs we did for a long period of time, we did a program called Uplift. And, and the Uplift was designed for people who are right at that edge. They have found, um, they found assistance through the government. They found all of these things. But all of a sudden, they realized, if I try and start a job, if I try and work for somebody, I'm going to make less money than I had before. They experience, they call it the cliff. 
we had a woman who I worked with in that program who wanted to start her own company, but she had to work part-time to get the funds to make that happen. Then she got a raise. And when she got a raise, they cut her substance from the government so that when she got a raise, she made less money and it was harder on her. But you know what she said? I'm not going back. I'm not going back. And she now has her own company. She's she's hires other people. She helps people who are barbers and salon people to learn the skills to start their own businesses. And she is a gem. She's a minority. I consider one of my great friends. And she teaches me constantly of, of what you're able to do when you actually believe you're capable of doing that. And you realize the power of the community that is around you. And, and I think most things happen locally. They don't happen nationally. It's our job to help people locally to find that. And, and to me, that's the, that's the gift of, of what optimism is about. I want more people to have that belief that through community, through the ability to handle everybody else, we're able to, we're able to be successful. And Devin Smith, who, uh, is, who I've been actually on his show, really a great thought leader in the area of hospitality, uh, has just acknowledged kind of the, the huge nature of messaging around internally taking responsibility for your life. So thank you, Devin, for joining us on that. All right. So where do you want, what do you want people to do with you now? I mean, like you're this elder, I hate to call you that, but you're this wise man with much storytelling, with much, much in how to move your own life forward with resilience as a survivor coming out on the other side with the advantage of optimism. What, what should people do to engage you? Go to your website. Uh, if they certainly, have uh, certainly my website. And, and as you found, uh, I'm my, my personal contact by email, I'm, I'm open to, to working with anybody. And my email is Terry at terrypaulson.com. I certainly welcome people to, to reply and, and interact with me. Um, I do write columns for townhall.com and I and I I acknowledge my job is not to give red meat to people who already agree with me. My job is to interact with people who in the midst of things that are really important, we get away. I, I think we get so much into personalities and politics. Oh, I hate Trump or I hate Biden or I hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. I wanna talk about what are things that are essential for us to move forward as a, as a country. And that means I've got to be able to, to get into the to that middle area where we just talk about what are the things that are important to us and, and making through. So I encourage people to argue with me a little bit. Let me know when you disagree. All right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you deal with your arguing later. But for all practical intents and purposes, you're still doing keynotes, uh, some virtually. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, what I'm doing now is I do a program on on uh, on claiming optimism to make change work. And, and when when you have an attitude that is looking for the future, you realize we're not saying there, there are a lot of concepts about change that you can talk about. My whole focus is what is what do you do to make change work? And so, right, so, so I, I, and I, they'll get all that. They're going to go to terrypaulson.com. They're going to find that out. They're going to check out your book. They're going to do all of that. And now it's time for the lightning round that I warned you about. No, you can't claim I didn't warn you. All right, here we go. Lightning round. Terry Paulson getting a little more personal here. I'm going to just say things. You're going to free associate. I might throw some things on the screen. You just don't know. All right, here's the, I'll start easy. I'll work at work from there. Puzzles, puzzles. Life is full of questions and questions are more important than answers. And you, and, but you also do a lot of puzzles, right? Or am I 
not right about that. I do do puzzles, but mostly I do them in the midst of uh, the opportunities we've had of being here at home. We uh, we got a bunch of puzzles, and it gives us a chance to calm down. All right, hiking. Hiking, let me give you a place, like hiking on the Foxfield Trail in Newbury Park. I have found that in the midst of our time right now, there is nothing like getting into the hills and into nature to remind you that the essential things in life are free and we need to get out and be experiencing. Before I would go to a gym, now I go to the hills to find that. New Hope Lutheran Church in Hills, California. That's my faith family. It's my community. And uh, to know that in the midst of any challenge that we face, you have people around you that share a common experience, but even more so care about you. And they're there for you. And I get to be doing the same for them. How about a colleague like Jim Cathcart? Jim is a a great speaker, an even better friend, and a a colleague in the journey. And I miss so much that he's now gone to Texas, and I don't get a chance to interact with him as much as I previously do. But I believe in the power of networking with people who really prove over the long haul that they're a friend that cares good times, bad times, politics, you name it. We're, We're in this together. So I don't know how many of these are actually legitimately associated with you, but I'm going to throw out some names. You can react to any of these names you like. Nicole, Sean, Jeremiah, Chloe, Terry, Jade. Naomi, they are my, look, I only have one son, so I couldn't, you know, I, I'm that simplified life. We found out what parenting was, and so we limited it to the one. But now I've got four grandkids, and I'll tell you that. That's a heck of a lot better because you don't have to have them in your home all the time. But I, I, I love the opportunity of watching our grandchildren go. Our oldest is 20, and the, the, the next one just got out. Jeremiah just got into placement. He's up at Fort Lewis. He's in the Army, and, and um, uh, we're excited to watch him grow into the man that we're so proud of. And, and then we've got two young girls that are in our family, and uh, that's Nicole. I mean, excuse me, uh, that's Naomi and, and Chloe, and, and we just love watching them grow. All right, so here is, this is the last thing in the lightning round. Just react to this picture. Oh, tis my wife. (laughs) 44 years together we've had, and uh, I will tell you that uh, there's not a day that I do not realize that I am blessed by Lori. And and she has uh, a very similar positive attitude, a strong faith, her her politics, all of that. We are a... uh, we're quite the pair, and uh, I, I treasure her. God gave me a gift in, in Lori, and uh, I'm, I, every single day I get to enjoy it. You are a treasure. I am blessed to have you in my life. I'm so glad you took the time to engage with the audience today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Terry Paulson. You can find him at terrypaulson.com. You can find out more about the books that I've identified and flashed up on the screen. You can find out how you can speak. You can learn more about uh, the columns that he writes. All of that's uh, available to you there. Uh, It is with great honor that I share him with you. I feel like, you know, I get to share the special little thing that has been a big part of my life for so long. So thank you, Terry, for your friendship and for being part of the Idol Village. I appreciate it very much. All right. So with that, let's kind of tell you about who's coming up in the very near future. You, You saw Terry. Uh, the Optimism Advantage uh, in next week, we're going to have Sarah Anderson. 
um, we're kind of on a theme here, I think, about civil discourse. Uh, uh, and she certainly is an expert on this, uh, can talk about how do we have civil conversations? What's the difference between having an opinion and having knowledge, right? Uh, and having a belief system and how a belief system shapes. All that's going to be put in context, I think, next week with Sarah Anderson. The book she wrote, The Space Between Us, if you want to get ahead and read about it before she shows up. The very, very funny Brad Montgomery, who is in the Speaker's Hall of Fame. He is a guy who leveraged his talent as a magician to see the natural occurring magic of life and really bring that home to all of us and how we can see the magic that's around us. You don't need to go to a magic show. Not that you don't want to, but uh, there's magic happening around us. We need to just be trackers of it. Brand Clarity, Suzanne Tulian. She has been somebody who's actually shaped my logo and my trade dress and written books about corporate branding, but personal branding as well. So she'll be joining us. And then Tracy Grammer, just a really wonderful folk musician. Um, got her her degree from Berkeley in uh, in creative art and literature um, really help us all think about what does innovation really mean? How do we quiet the critics in our heads so we just trust ourselves to create something and then we can refine it and clean it up on the backside. So we'll have her on. That's the upcoming shows. I am so blessed not only by people like Terry Paulson, but I'm blessed that you took the time to be with us today. I know that one of the most valuable things you have going is your time and you gave some of it up here today. Hope you find some value. If you did, please share it with others. Want to thank all of those of you who have provided comments on today. If you do forward this on, like if you post it on LinkedIn, on your feed, just let us know. Or if you re, you know, repost it on Facebook, let us know. Uh, normally what we do is we look for those and we put some of those names in a hat and then we send you a copy of my book, uh, Stronger Through Adversity. So we really want to make sure that that you participate with us in that and pass this on because I think more people need to know about Terry Paulson uh, than just you and me. What do you think? All right. With that, that's it for this week. Thank you. Blessings to you. Mm -hmm.